for tuning in to the Cutaway Pod. The Cutaway, the Cutaway, the, the cutaway. cutaway. We are your hosts, Max Pagese and... I'm DJ Gone Off These Franklin. D- <laughs> we DJ, are here... DJ Penny in my mattress. <laughs> we are here to deliver today's global and national happenings to those of you feeling disenfranchised, disenchanted, and disinterested in the news with a very small dose of comedy and even more self-deprecating humor. Austin, what are we here to do? We're, we're going to analyze the current role of the news. What is the state of the press? What, what are news companies? Das ist die Lügenpresse! We, are, we were sick of news companies. Absolutely. <laughs> so we created our own. Yeah. Because <laughs> no one needs to know what's have, going on have, more than uh, you need to know right. what we're thinking. <laughs> We have to uh, fight, fight against the information you see on really anywhere. What are national affairs? What are global affairs? What is the validity of what the public chooses to be true? Right. Uh, basically, we are delivering news for the globalist cucks. So if you're out there and you are a globalist cuck, we're here for you. But we're like the, the Breitbart of the left. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but our goal here is to uh, spur debate. We want you to have an inner dialogue. And an outer dialogue. We want you to converse with other people. Yeah, we want you to have car accidents right. because Listen. you're so uh, awestruck by what we're Exactly. Saying. Listen to what we say and then consider yourself so intelligent that you have to lord it over your friends and family. They are going to love you for it. Yeah. Trust me. Just we, ask my girlfriend. Uh, but yeah, we want people like lined up outside of the studio. Right. We want people trying to set us on fire. On today's pod, we will be discussing North Korea, because I'm about to blow up. (laughs) But also Afghanistan, because that is a very heavy subject and not to be taken lightly whatsoever. But watch me do it anyway. (laughs) And also later on the pod, we will be discussing domestic issues, because we got a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Mostly White House legislative calendar and what the priorities are um, in DACA, what... uh, relief might look like in the wake of hurricanes Harvey and Irma and some other odds and ends. Yes. What is Mike Pence doing under the table? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Stick around for more of the cutaway. On today's pod, the first issue at hand, North Korea. Bum, bum, ba. Why are we talking about North Korea, Max? I don't know. You tell me, Austin. Why are we talking about North Korea? Because we are 30 seconds more likely to blow up. Wow. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. That's not even enough time for Ted Cruz to crank one out to sexual posts Twitter. Right. So, we are talking about North Korea because on July 28th, North Korea released a ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile. Guess what happened the next day? Almost $2 trillion was drained from the stock market. And into our bank accounts. Within three days. <laughs> Pending uh, work, the work week. <laughs> but uh, remarkably, the South Korean economy continues to thrive as a global market. Not only because of uh, the U.S.-South Korean trade agreement, but also because uh, their new leader, Mr. Moon. Mr. Sailor Moon is actually the new president of, uh, of South Korea, yeah. in case you didn't know. Right. But uh, as Trump has always wanted, it's, we are in the midst of an arms race. Uh, but before we get into really the nitty gritty, I want to talk about why it was July 28th and why exactly did that happen on that date. 
And the answer is uh, North Korea producing a, a little tiny nuclear warhead that could fit inside of the cap of a missile. Wow, so it's like a little kangaroo joey fitting inside the pouch of its mommy. Uh, there are 60 of these kangaroos, according to Max, uh, in North Korea right now. Right, this is it's something the... you quote. CNN, if you're out there, you're listening to this pod, please quote me on that. Right. <laughs> but uh, 60, uh, which is a different number than 20, which was uh, projected by the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, as of uh, July, the okay. same month that the uh, ICBM was released. But also, uh, this is the case because it is the hermit kingdom. There is almost no communication from the outside world except from the Chinese and their uh, trading companies, right. which actually fund or largely fund uh, the North Korean economy or what is in place uh, basically through acquiring their coal to uh, use in steel production. So essentially what it boils down to is Cold whatever kind of information we get from outside sources, it's like a bad game of telephone where the information gets watered through so many, you know, weakly reliable or just straight up unreliable sources to the point where we actually have no idea until we get some sort of, you know, reputable um, intel which could take weeks, months and lags behind. Yeah. Well, a lot of these trades are going through uh, Chinese trading companies which are directly related to the Chinese government which distorts any uh, piece of truth that is available. But also, Chinese government and any of these, uh, I guess you could call them deals with North Korea, are interconnected with other economies. So you have the Russian economy, and as you were saying, the Venezuelan economy as well, because of obviously uh, an oil. Right, exactly, basically like the only countries that are willing to trade with North Korea, um, are all, not only are they keeping their economy afloat, um, but are also sort of you know, pseudo allies with the United States. Yeah. So it's like an ass backward way of looking at a uh, foreign policy. Right. But also a month ago, the UN Security Council voted unanimously to introduce sanctions that would uh, cost North Korea billions of dollars. But this is a, uh, the US essentially persuaded China to agree to the sanctions uh, against their will uh, by threatening to sanction uh, the Chinese banks, which is a horrible decision and something the North Korean government probably wanted initially, which could be their ultimate strategy. But we have no idea because Kim Jong-un is basically already at Donald Trump level of old man dottiness right. um, at half Donald Trump's but, age. Uh, Donald Trump is not in love <laughs> with Dennis Rodman. Right, there's that. Well, we don't know that. <laughs> Donald Trump could very well be in love with Dennis yeah. Rodman. Melania is like reading her like steamy Czech novels, and he, Donald comes into the bedroom dressed in a, like a wedding dress. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm Dennis. <laughs> Baby, my friend Dennis wants me to dress up this way. I promise you, Dennis Rodman and I are only friends. Uh, That's why Steve Bannon was fired. He wanted to bring Dennis Rodman in. Do you think Steve Bannon was Dennis Rodman's limo driver to like the Celebrity Apprentice set? That's the only thing that makes sense to me right now. Yeah. Anyway, in the same US, uh, UN Security Council vote, Russia uh, initially refused to comply with the sanctions, uh, but at the last moment decided against vetoing the sanctions, rather. Um, because that would draw attention to obvious business dealings occurring between the two nations. Right, exactly. And this sort of like uh, leads into, I think, what we talked about a little bit in that 
China and Russia can easily sign on in the UN to say, oh yeah, we back these sanctions, but then when it comes time to like enforce them, no, they can look the other way, or in fact, right. just totally piss on them and go against it. Yeah, right. but the short answer to all of this is China. Uh, China has been buying less, but that's only because of the, you know, a, a lack of uh, Chinese economic growth. Um, but the Chinese in, like exports to Pyongyang have grown 22% uh, over the past year, which is uh, unbelievable. In light of the fact that sanctions have been levied right, yeah, against North there, Korea since then, too. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, but most impl importantly in all of this, uh, as we were, we were saying, the Chinese have conducted a basically a money laundering scheme uh, with these uh, state-owned trading companies. Uh, North Koreans come to China to work, return to North Korea with this currency, and either probably are basically forced to hand it over, um, or they, <laughs> in some uh, sad plot to fund a way to escape the country. Right, and not only that, but it's, it's interesting that you bring up the fact that North Koreans go over to China to work. Not only that, but Kim Jong-un uh, pays for, you know, like 18, 19, 20-year-old North Korean citizens to go study in North Korea. And there was like a Wall Street Journal article recently that said that they're sending them like hundreds of students over into China to study oh, things that the UN has said are like, you're not allowed to teach North Koreans certain things, like right. about building. Essentially, it all leads to building a bomb. And uh, what Kim Jong Un has been doing is like incentivizing students to go over there and do this to be like, oh, you can go over there and get this great education in China, and then come back and be like a king in North Korea, yeah. and then you're like immediately put into service for the government and the military building bombs. Trump has brazenly and always moronically uh, said that the U.S. should consider stopping all trade with countries doing business with North Korea, which is odd because Germany, Brazil, many other allies basically are, uh, are engaged in economic dealings with North Korea. But obviously this would um, begin a complete catastrophe and a trade war, which is yet another uh, <laughs> blunder of Trump's foreign policy. But yeah, it's not outlandish, outlandish to suggest that uh, one strategy of Pyongyang is to create this trade war. Right. And not only that, but this is something that we sort of talked about, too, is the fact that we almost like de facto trade with North Korea almost more than any other country in that we, we discussed this particularly as it relates to like textiles um, and other goods, undoubtedly, that are, you know, manufactured in North Korea and then imported into China. A new made in China label is slapped on this good that's produced in North Korea, which the United States then in turn um, goes ahead and buys like in bulk right. from China. So it's like. United States is probably, if you looked at it through how the the products, the money, all the stuff is laundered and filtered through, the United States is probably one of the largest contributors to the North Korean economy in one way or another. So we would essentially have to like sanction ourselves in the United. I want to see Nikki Haley do that. I want to see Nikki Haley go in there off a three day bender and be like, "I sanction the United States for doing business with North Korea." <laughs> Or however Nikki Haley sounds, probably like that. All right, but uh, another interesting aspect in all of all of this is uh, Shinzo Abe, the president of Japan, and his tireless attempts to militarize Japan, uh, not only constitutionally but um, empirically. You have a 2.5 increase percent increase in uh, the defense budget over the next year, and this was before July 28th, 
uh, when the ICBM was launched. So, I mean, that in itself speaks to uh, Shinzo Abe's role as a strong man, a hard man, but from Abe's uh, initial pr perspective, he does not want to uh, come to the table and present some uh, policy making with the North Koreans or any diplomatic effort. He basically wins in both ways, and we were talking about this earlier. If North Korea launches another missile, it will not only bolster his uh, budget going into defense, it will also uh, create even more fear amongst the Japanese population, Japanese public, and uh, they would initially, you know, support any efforts made towards uh, militarizing Japanese special forces. Right, so essentially what this is is like a, a very fucked up win-win for Shinzo Abe in yeah. that if North Korea keeps launching these ICBMs, he'll just get more public support from the Japanese people exactly. to um, make all these constitutional amendments to allow Japan to actually have a full-on military again. And um, if they don't, he's just going to keep doing it. Yeah. Anything that he can do to advance his own agenda. And it's not even like he has to do anything. All he has to do is sit around and wait for right. Kim Jong-un to, you know, disobey daddy's orders. <laughs> like, <laughs> one more time. And all he has to do is like, oh, North Korea launched another ICBM. Better spend more. Yeah. Sound and the horn. Right. Get the U.S. on the phone. Send <laughs> us more. Send us some more arms. Pick up the phone, baby. Sound the alarm. <laughs> uh, and with that, uh, the U.S. has performed a miracle. Bumpa. Uh, Trump has attacked South Korea because he thinks South Korea is probably a province of North Korea. Uh, yeah, I guarantee you, if you held a map up in front of Donald Trump and said, uh, show me North Korea, yeah. I'm just guessing he'd probably point to, like, Laos, and that's even giving him a lot of <laughs> a lot of credit. <laughs> or he'd point to Japan and be like, that's it! Yeah. <laughs> that's where Kim Jong-un lives. It's a suspicious shape to this country. Yeah, exactly. Or he'd point to Italy and be like, isn't it the boot? <laughs> Kim Jong-un lives in a boot. Yeah. But uh, Trump uh, warned uh, weeks ago that talking is not the answer. And by that, he probably means that tweeting is the answer. Exactly. Well, we all know that Donald Trump's favorite way to disseminate policy, whether it's for economics, social injustice, or military policy. Well, not only that, but he tweets about it. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all he can do, though. Everyone, everyone has abandoned him. How it's like getting picked up how last sad for poor Donnie. Wow, for kickball in kindergarten. Yeah. Uh, but South Korea is currently shifting away from a previous conservative government, albeit a, uh, a band of lunatics related to uh, <laughs> the cult in, in South Korea, basically. But um, they've called for increased negotiation, negotiations with the North, um, a way of like diffusing the escalating uh, tensions. I'm but um, the greatest frustration that Trump is experiencing stems from uh, South Korea's chronic trade surplus. So they're like Germany in the sense that they, they win off of trading with other countries but pay their workers less than what other countries pay their workers. And so Trump, in, in Trump's mind, this affects his electorate. This affects people in the Midwest, these... Uh, <laughs> These fictional steel workers. Right, these the people fictional... that got him elected, essentially. Right, right. exactly. Um, 
but what he doesn't understand is the steel industry or the coal industry is uh, just plummeting. Right, and that it absolutely had nothing to do with like the last, you know, eight months that he was in office. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost as if he became president and realized like, oh shit, all this stuff is happening. It's only been happening for eight months though, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, since he could not throw a real punch at Pyongyang, Seoul was a logical target because he probably thought that it was part of North Korea. Exactly. Well, again, because he would probably point to Japan on a map if oh, yeah. you asked him where uh, Korea is. But I, that was what I was going to ask you is what benefit is there for Trump in um, shooting this jab at North Korea saying that he's going to um, you know, sever this free trade agreement that he has with them? I don't know. It could be related to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, it could be related to the fact that something else is happening behind the scenes. It could be related to, uh, I don't know, maybe he just wants to flex his muscles. We already have, it could be, this is uh, something I just thought of. It could be a kind of a, a tactic that separates his own international policy or foreign policy apart from recent advancement in Afghanistan. I guess you can call it advancement. But it could be his own uh, way of, his own little foreign policy. Because wow, how cute. Every, because like his cabinet, everyone within the Pentagon, everyone, you know, Mattis McMaster, they have abandoned Trump. Poor little Donny. And He's they're doing out there their own all alone. thing. Yeah. They're uh, working away from public opinion, uh, which has not only allowed Mattis to do what he wanted to do four years ago, but um, it's, it's, take, it's taken Trump away from issues that he knows nothing about. Right, undoubtedly, and it's. I think that he realizes that if he goes on Twitter and tweets something about a, you know, a very like incendiary uh, foreign policy stance, like I'm going to cancel this free trade agreement with South Korea, like he doesn't have to ever actually do it or talk about it again. All he has to do is tweet about it one time, and as the president of the United States, people are like, "Oh my God!" And now they're like, you know dart in foreign policy for the Trump administration when like there is no fucking foreign right, policy yeah. there, there was nothing but it's, it could be a way to support um, strategy the, the strategy of pulling out of trade agreements uh, pulling out of the South Korean uh, right. US trade agreement pulling out of the Trans-Pacific partnership right. pulling out of NAFTA or yeah criticizing NAFTA and then criticizing NASA <laughs> I'm pulling out of NASA I'm gonna fund NASA again and criticize it uh, <laughs> But it could be a way to validate what he's doing. Right. All right, stick around. Uh, when we come back, we will be discussing Afghanistan. We are back with the cutaway. We're back. Uh, during the break, we Daddy researched Bat Boy, which is half bat, half human. Half boy. Ha and half boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Afghanistan. The unavoidable issue in Afghanistan, um, though, is the recent deployment of troops, uh, specifically 4,000 troops, um, and a new strategy to implement a counterinsurgency. So, from the outside looking in, Afghanistan is unique in that it doesn't really have a past of strongmen leaders. For example, Erdogan in Turkey, Morsi in Egypt. Um, these nations have histories of either 
uh, far-right Islamists or uh, leaders associated with other larger groups. Uh, Afghanistan doesn't even have that. Uh, when you have Islamists in, in, in countries, specifically Afghanistan, surrounded by the countries that they're surrounded uh, by, you have uh, these leaders in place to block jihadists. So historically, this has never occurred, and uh, Afghanistan is a vacuum. The Taliban historically is supported by Pakistan uh, because the Taliban is Pakistani. But uh, we're going with this new deployment. We have 12,000 troops in Afghanistan now, uh, and the, uh, we used to have 100,000, which is uh, unbelievable, scattered across the country, and this was in uh, 2010. Um, but now, the one indication that validates a recent deployment is uh, the fact that 330,000 security forces have um, risen to power in certain areas of the country. Uh, which is the same amount of freedom fighters or soldiers or even government officials that were in place when the Soviets left. <laughs> we're right back to where we were when the Soviets left uh, 20 some odd years ago. Yeah. So when the, yeah, exactly. When the Soviets left uh, in the 90s, it created the same vacuum that we're in now. The Taliban took over. Um, but we are back. We have to set a regional framework um, because there was a meeting between Iran, Russia, Pakistan, China. And there was also the, uh, during the same time, there was the Astana conference, which kind of was between the same countries uh, deciding what would happen in Syria. But last March, Afghan and US officials said that Iran and Russia teamed up to uh, undermine US-led sta uh, stabilization efforts in Afghanistan, uh, basically by funding uh, Taliban insurgents. Um, and so when that happens, when Iran and Russia do this, uh, it's obviously something that sparked uh, Mattis's attention, and months later, here we are. The giant player in all of this economically could be China. China has a, a bustling infrastructure plan across Iran, across Afghanistan, across Pakistan. And this is uh, reshaping not only an external culture that has always been lacking in these countries, but uh, quite literally the infrastructure. I've heard one story um, uh, recently, you know, weeks ago, that uh, in Tehran itself, there are Chinese restaurants, there, uh, there are billboards in Chinese. That's where we're at. And so essentially, right now, what China is doing is almost picking up where Russia left off in the 90s, and that when, you know, Russia came in, they, uh, like you said, brought, you know, culture with them, education, um, like social liberation, to a certain degree for women, um, as well as physical infrastructure. And then when they left, that was all either stalled or yeah. you know totally erased um, to a degree. And then China is essentially coming in and picking up where Russia left off. Yeah, the same thing happened. A, a civil war occurred, cities were leveled, and there was really uh, no place to live. So ch yeah, China floods in. But uh, the, main, the, the key point here is when there are new uh, deployments, we learn from previous mistakes. And so in the past, uh, whether it's fighting Al-Qaeda, whether it's fighting ISIS in any country in the region, uh, we're hobbled by a lack of diplomatic expertise. We have the numbers, we have the soldiers, um, but we don't really have uh, diplomacy because <laughs> Uh, there are not enough State Department uh, officers to really go around. And so now the situation is far worse today, obviously with uh, budget cuts of the State, State Department. Undoubtedly. And so it's basically making a 
shit sandwich of a situation even shittier. Yeah, basically. So Mattis is now this uh, key member of an administration that is uh, taken so much away from the State Department at a time when we're sending more, more sol soldiers halfway across the, the world, putting them in harm's way. I, I found this quote recently. Mattis said in 2013, if you don't fund the State Department fully, then I need to buy more ammunition. There we go. Which is quite, it's to a point, the perfect literary depiction of what is going to devolve in Afghanistan if we don't employ diplomacy. Because as you know, as uh, people have discussed before, really, and I think there was even like a, a New York Times article on this recently where it said that Afghanistan is where empires go to die. Yeah, and yeah. ultimately it's... Uh, the same thing that it's almost like going back to like the um, the Vietnam syndrome that we had in this country where we knew that the Vietnamese um, were going to be in Vietnam forever, but the United States couldn't stay in Vietnam forever. And same thing. We can't stay in Afghanistan forever. Yeah. We're um, addicted to a strategy that isn't complete. Right, exactly. And not only that, but is uh, basically just like uh, one of those RC cars that is stuck going in circles <laughs> and you have no choice but to like yeah. break it. You and put new batteries on in it, the remote. Yeah and you have a new deployment. <laughs> right, exactly. That, that, and you know what? We need to work in the Trump administration. We have the perfect analogies that he'll be able to understand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they probably <laughs> we'll have, have RC like, cars in the White House. Because they will have to break in an RC car, like his face on the windshield of it. He'll be like, see, see Donnie, this is what's happening. <laughs> Splat. Um, but the training missions that will occur um, will likely resemble uh, what US forces have done in the past in Iraq, in Syria. Um, they're going to be working with forces um, in Afghanistan to uh, basically to imitate what they've done in Syria, what they've done in Iraq. So essentially what this is, is uh, so I know when President Trump announced that he was, you know, he picked a prime time slot to announce that he's sending 4,000 more troops over, which when you think about, about which <laughs> when you think about um, in you know the past uh, 16 years, just how high troop levels have gotten. 4,000, it seems like an impressive number of troops to the average citizen, but what does that exactly mean? Are most of these soldiers sent over going to be um, in an advisory capacity, in yeah. like a training capacity? They're, they're sent to provide training. Okay. They're, they're basically doing the same thing that the, the Russians and uh, Iranians are doing, right, which so is going over there, uh, coming with a lot of weapons and just giving them strategy. Right. How can you win these these very sophisticated uh, shootouts, basically, in one of with, the, one with, of the harshest like, terrains? With Russian and Iranian trained dissidents, right. basically, like how can we backhandedly engage in this yeah. proxy war against <laughs> Russia and Iran? Yeah, we have to wait. We have to believe in the Afghans and that the you know they could be perfectly capable of uh, fighting, but they need the leadership. They need the coordination. With an increased American effort, probably force the Taliban to re-strategize, rethink their assumptions, um, even though, you know, spread across Pakistan into Afghanistan, the network is massive. But when we try to alter their assumptions, and this could possibly lead to peace negotiations, which is kind of a uh, strange end result to think about, but that's what we're doing. And this is something that I heard recently. This is how we sort of engaged with uh, Al Qaeda is that a lot of their actual network was based on like familial relations, right? Mm -hmm. Between like people that lived in Afghanistan and people that lived in 
um, Pakistan in that they were all this, uh, you know, like Pashtun um, relation between them. Yeah. So it's almost like the same thing is going on um, with the Taliban. Is yeah. that there's like there, there's, there's a no linguistic way to, uh, familiarity, right? Exactly, and it's it's not necessarily the same way that you think about like uh, you know conventional twentieth century war, and that like we're fighting Germany, we're fighting you yeah. know what I mean, yeah. Italy, we're fighting Japan. It's not the exact same thing. It's like you know they're spread across Pakistan, and essentially like the diplomatic way of going about this. This is one way possibly to do it would be to like leverage our relationship with Pakistan. Right. Which of course like draws in the whole you know nuclear standoff that they're in yeah, with exactly. India, yeah. um, but essentially that's like one way to play out. Um, well, Pakistan's in a world of trouble right now. <laughs> their their uh, previous president was just ousted uh, from a corruption scandal, um, and there have been multiple attacks within the past six months that have killed you know. 50 to 70 people right and not only that but i know that their military is constantly engaged in like these like unofficial skirmishes with uh indian troops like right. caught on yeah, like yeah, yeah. the equivalent of like uh webcams basically that right. are like mounted in the mountains like yeah. they're like you can watch them like throwing rocks at each other right. it's like it's almost yeah. comical when you realize that these are two like nuclear superpowers <laughs> that are like ready to bomb the monkey shit out of each yeah. other for like any reason or no reason at all exactly yeah how much of this 45 billion dollars is going towards a uh, webcam <laughs> yeah sides 44.9 billion right. Which leads us to our final point. Uh, what are the numbers behind it? Keeping troops there the next year will cost $45 billion. That's just like the bacon bits on top of our defense budget uh, yeah. salad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, stick around. Uh, we have more domestic happenings after this. All right, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to our inaugural episode of The Cutaway. Let's talk about the current White House legislative calendar. Not necessarily what they're going to do in order, but uh, what has the White House been up to lately, Austin? Let's, uh, let's find out. So as of late, <laughs> as of late, the Trump administration has seemed very concerned um, with the debt ceiling budget and uh and tax reform but we can't talk about any of those things without uh talking about the fiscal impact of these two storms so hurricanes harvey and irma have essentially caused unprecedented damage and we've had the world's greatest uh hurricane pundit Donald Trump on Twitter <laughs> talking about... I thought you were going to say Don Lemon. <laughs> yeah. Don Lemon has come back to give us uh, punditry you meet, on, uh, the, uh, right, on, on the hurricanes. So hurricanes, uh, Harvey and Irma, have you know, struck Gulf Coast states, leaving uh, tens of thousands without power, um, with billions of dollars needed in aid. Um, and there's really almost like a, a bottomless uh, pit that we're looking into for uh, recovery here. Yeah, well, um, well, up until up until this point, we have forty thousand households approved by FEMA. Uh, countless homes, uh, few had flood insurance at all, um, and so historically, FEMA, when they can't, they can't give you enough money. They direct most of the these claims to the Small Business Administration, um, which has a loan program. 
for long-term reconstruction. We saw this uh, with Sandy. Um, we're seeing it again. Basically, the interest rates for these loans are cheaper than what banks offer, um, which isn't saying much at all. Uh, but eventually, these same administrative uh, programs kind of fuck over the people that had their lives taken away from them. Right. Essentially, it's like uh, putting a Band-Aid on an open gash yeah. and hoping that it works. Um, you know, the fact that... Uh, it's very interesting that you brought up the flood insurance part. Uh, you know, I grew up in a part of Florida that got totally overrun um, by flooding, and that the uh, the storm surge, um, when I say unprecedented, I mean the fact that 10 to 15 feet of storm surge is absolutely like incredible. That just to put this in perspective, this would overtake a standard one-story house, which in South Florida. A 1500 square foot one-story house a 15 foot uh, storm surge would basically ruin your home despite the fact that since Hurricane Andrew hit in 1992 this state of Florida like drastically revamped their storm code flood code anything that like houses and buildings uh, needed to be built to this code was totally overhauled to the point where um, most of the modern homes in Florida can withstand the wind and the rain, but nothing can protect you <laughs> from like massive storm surge, um, which is right. We essentially imagine like a tsunami hitting Florida. That's really the closest thing that we could uh, compare it to. And um, amidst this whole thing, Scott Pruitt, our uh, our benevolent uh, EPA administrator, <laughs> the, uh, Robin Hood, right? The, the Robin Hood of uh, EPA. He. Uh, he steals from basically everyone and gives to himself. Uh, <laughs> decides that the middle of the storm is not a good time to talk about climate change, um, which is essentially like saying that right after a uh, vicious mass shooting is not a good time to talk about uh, gun control, which, spoiler ahead, it's the perfect time to talk about gun control, just like it's the perfect time to talk about climate change. And uh, it's not necessarily to say that these two hurricanes were like caused by climate change um it's only to say that it makes bad storms worse um and basically with the rising uh surface temperatures of the oceans and the gulf um just makes a perfect environment for an increase in uh in terrible storms all right so we are talking about what the white house is up to what are they up to? I honestly have no idea. Now that Steve Bannon is gone, I don't know what Donald Trump does all day. He's lost all of his best friends in the White House. I don't know what he's Bannon's doing. Bannon's probably uh, the lifeguard at the pool. <laughs> at the White House pool? Yeah. <laughs> Blowing whistles. Yeah. At Melania. <laughs> doot, doot. Yeah. <laughs> Give me that book deal. <laughs> the, 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 the Bannon says. vitamins. <laughs> yeah. So, in the news lately, we have seen that Donald Trump... It's been one busy bee trying to yeah. get his tax reform passed. Actually, the, the the funniest thing about this is that Donald Trump gets on TV and he's in the news all the time about like, Donald Trump really wants tax reform. Then he's tweeting. He's like, go Congress, go. Like <laughs> Donald Trump might be, I when he does this, I imagine him in like a little cheerleading outfit with yeah. pom-poms, like, like, like wishing that, uh, Paul Ryan would show up shaking exactly. his hands around like he's wearing it's his like a fucking letterman jacket. Yeah. Um, so essentially recently, uh, I'm going to try to set this up sort of chronologically here. 
So recently, Donald Trump has met with uh, Democratic leadership in that he <laughs> went behind congressional uh, Republicans to meet with uh, Chuck Schumer and uh, Nancy Pelosi on uh, Wednesday the 6th to, uh, to discuss several things. He was discussing DACA, budget, as well as tax reform. Uh, they reached a consensus to fund the government through the 15th of December, and Paul Ryan, um, other congressional conservatives, have, uh, their heads were sent spinning through this. It was like a scene from The Exorcist. You've got Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, who with his little turtle head, they're just spinning around spewing green shit, and they have no idea what to do. And the funniest part about this is that I love the New York Times, I love the Washington Post, I love Politico, but all of them now have been releasing think pieces like every hour on the hour being like, Donald Trump is this freewheeling independent who, like, no he's not. <laughs> well, what, what a lot of these uh, news agencies kind of fail to either remember or emphasize is that Trump is basically just a, a layer between uh, public perception and uh, an exploding private sector. So any oscillating policy making that he might be responsible for, it doesn't mean anything. Um, lobbying companies have completely uh, overrun Washington. Right. If, they ha if they hadn't before, uh, everyone behind the scenes invites these, <laughs> these uh, lobbyists. Swamp monsters. Because uh, there has to be a middleman between uh, business interests abroad um, and the White House. But I mean, there are stories, uh, even in the New York Times, of uh, business deals occurring within the White House of people <laughs> pretty much saying that, they, I mean, they could be representing China, they could be representing Russia. Anyone, literally anyone. If you say that they create jobs, then Trump will agree. Right, that's all and he If you give about. him the credit, basically. And that's like one of the most important things to remember when talking about whether or not Donald Trump made a great deal um, with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi or uh, he made a shit deal. Like for Donald Trump, he saw this as a quick win for himself because yep. he was able to say, "Oh, look, Republicans in Congress, you're doing nothing. I'm making a deal here." Like this, <laughs> this just allows him to have his 15 minutes of fame to say, "Like I'm a great deal maker. No one makes deals better than me." When in reality, he has pushed himself into a corner where now he's not only alienating. Uh, the conservatives that he needs um, in Congress. The Democrats are um, like, what the fuck is right. happening? They have no idea what's going on because they're, they've been, you know, essentially, I will never agree that Donald Trump is right in saying that they're obstructionists, but, you know, the Democrats obviously are not going to go along with anything Donald Trump wants to do. Sure. Now all of a sudden they've got some sort of a win they can chalk up in their column for a legislative agenda. And I'm sure the Democrats are like, how the fuck did we just get Donald <laughs> right, Trump yeah. to agree to this? Because... Originally, Donald Trump could have uh, signed on to say, uh, I think Paul Ryan gave him 18 months to keep the government funded and wait to push budget, tax reform, um, infrastructure. He essentially had until right after the midterms well, the to wall. worry about all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. He, has, he gets the wall legislation uh, in this DACA deal. Right. Well, sort of. Like, yeah. again, this is another, like, pseudo win for the Democrats, pseudo win for Donald Trump. Donald Trump, if he were even thinking remotely beyond the fact that he only enjoys ratings right now, he could have had 
he he wouldn't have had to worry about any of this stuff until after the midterms when he undoubtedly could have uh, helped lock up a couple more seats for Republicans. Instead, what he did is push confuse this everyone. fight. Right. Push the, not only confuse everyone, but push this fight three months from now when this is only going to boil up more. Um, more heads are going to be spinning. And ultimately, you know, w- this could lead to a massive shutdown yeah. around the holidays. It creates um, this uh, tumultuous <laughs> news cycle. It's, it's bait for a lot of people. Right. So you have the, these... Uh, these certain events occurring. It's a string of events. You have the firing of Bannon. You have the firing of Seb Gorka. Yes, the Hungarian like, porn star. I was gonna star. say the, the, yeah, the Hungarian neo-Nazi porn right. star. You have the uh, North Korean provocations. Uh, you have these. You have this chain to possibly uh, create a facade of productivity um, because he thinks that there is legislation coming up when they're won't be because he's right. he's just going through all of it right now right because because undoubtedly like if you think about uh his history with like quote unquote policy making if you asked him during the repeal and replace debacle um to explain to anyone in like the simplest terms what is in the health care bill that republicans are pushing he'd have been like it's a very great bill it's a very great deal for the american citizen and that's all I have but to say. Do you Goodbye. think Stephen Miller has emphasized momentum? Because we saw momentum is a uh, buzzword here. Because it's not only how he won the election, but it's it's something that he essentially must have to win any sort of uh, right, favor well, within Congress. Right, and I think that this it, it all plays back into um, his need for like his brief fifteen minutes of fame of uh, ratings. Right, mm-hmm. so for him. He's gotten a lot of these think pieces written about him where like, oh, is Donald Trump this freewheeling independent that we saw on the campaign trail? Or is uh, is he really showing the fact that he's a New York liberal-ish or what's going on? He, he eats this shit up. Like, there's, I don't well, think for him he sees past that. Well, a lot of his, uh, well, to compliment that, he, he went into uh, this past election advocating for the uh, white male vote, uh, but also Wall Street people who are Democrats. We can we can assume uh, now with these this recent legislation, uh, namely the tax legislation, he is catering to the middle class for I guess the first time. Uh, but with the new legislation, Republicans don't really know what to do. They're divided because th- this is completely unexpected. The, they can't meet uh, Trump's 15% corporate tax rate because... That's absolutely the, not going to happen. Right. Like, <laughs> that's a, yeah. a, it'll, even within the Republican ranks, they're, like, you'll hear the like, staunchest conservative nut jobs being yeah. like, we'll never get to 15%. It's not happening. Yeah, and ironically, they can't decide on a certain uh, piece of the bill that would appropriate a, a change to small businesses and partnerships that would qualify for this new low business tax. Right. Um, one of the fundamental <laughs> uh, aspects of the Republican Party over the past two decades has been uh, the revitalization of small business, and they can't even decide what it, uh, what to do with it. Right, they can't even nail down policy specifics. And like all of these like uh, fissures, all of these Fishers <laughs> within the Republican Party were like coming up during the healthcare debate earlier on in Trump's presidency, and people were like, "Oh well, you know the GOP—they're just getting their shit together." Like, 
you've got to get all these uh, various conservative and moderate wings together and deciding what the right way to move forward is. Like, it's not going to happen. No, you just I mean, have to get Chuck Schumer happen. on the phone, and you have to get, basically, you have to have get Gary Cohn and Chuck Schumer have a phone conversation. Right, exactly. And, like, bring Nancy in. <laughs> so, essentially, conservative think tanks, news outlets, uh, Trump's old friend Steve Bannon are calling this meeting uh, his swampiest move yet. Um, some of which have gone as far as to call for a public statement from the president. They're expressing disdain uh, for bipartisanship, which uh, is absolutely fucking incredible because if you are a Republican right now, but you gotta have some sort of legislative win or legislative yeah. action, and that's gonna require um, bipartisanship. Well, yeah, a, a few things. Um, first of all, this DACA thing yesterday, this is pretty much uh, a slap in the face to Jeff Sessions. This is the equivalent of firing Jeff Sessions. Right. Basically, what Donald Trump has been doing is like systematically cucking yep. Jeff Sessions. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Right. It started off like months ago with him like berating Jeff Sessions over this whole, um, you <laughs> know, recusing himself and Rod Deep Rosenstein. South. Deep South Elf Man. <laughs> yeah. Like having to recuse himself and then Rod Rosenstein stepping in and having to appoint a special prosecutor. So like Donald Trump berated Jeff Sessions for that. Then he tweeted and called him beleaguered uh, not too long ago. So this is like, this whole thing is just one big slap in the face uh, from Donald Trump to Jeff Sessions, who I think Donald Trump is honestly enjoying keeping Sessions in just to like see how much he can <laughs> like shit his, on it's him. It's like his goldfish. Right. <laughs> like him and Paul Ryan are Donald Trump's two little goldfish that he's leaving in the bowl to see just how long he can wait before he has to feed them again. Right. But bottom line, the de uh, Democrats will not they're going to reject anything that repeals the estate tax, which is yeah. the most important aspect of anything related to tax legislation uh, for Trump. Right, exactly. And it, not only that, but without even needing to see Donald Trump's tax returns, we know that this, uh, this personally affects him. Right. So he, he, he needs a legacy. <laughs> All this plays into the fact that Donald Trump's, you know, whatever you want to call it, tax overhaul, tax reform, tax policy, stands only to benefit the wealthiest people in this country. And so when people get really like uh, excited about hearing paying less taxes, assume that unless you make, you know, $15 million a year and are a hedge fund manager or, you know, a vice president for JP Morgan, you are not going to be personally benefiting um, from whatever kind of uh, tax yeah. quote unquote overhaul. But, that I mean, they, they could have sent their money to Panama or sent their money to uh, Switzerland. Right, like but Joseph ago. Plummer's not going to do that. Right. So not only in this meeting did Donald Trump discuss the uh, budget extension and tax reform, but what's been on a lot of people's minds lately um, is DACA or the uh, Deferred Action for uh, Childhood Arrivals, which provides essentially asylum for children who were brought here um, by undocumented immigrants. Um, and those children's children. Right, essentially. And so for people who don't know exactly uh, what type of protections DACA provides, and actually the benefit that it provides to this country, I will do my best to, uh, to do this uh, quickly. DACA is a system that these uh, people buy into. It's not like a protective status. Well, it is a protective status, but it's not amnesty. What right. a lot of conservatives and what a lot of people think is that DACA is essentially amnesty. It yeah. could, it you, could you, be a like gateway a to amnesty, right? but it's not. Essentially what these people have to do 
every two years have to buy a $500 renewable um, uh, status, mm -hmm. essentially. And not only that, but these are not, you know, like criminals. They don't receive any benefits. Right, they that, don't receive, uh, essentially what it is, receive. is they're paying $500 to not be deported for two years at a time. Mm -hmm. Which and, I read accumulates to $60 million for everyone right. uh, participating. In right, exactly, because there are some 800,000 people, I think, <laughs> that are that are enrolled in this program and uh, given this protective status. Yeah. And not only that, but just think about the, the revenue that that provides. Oh, they yeah. don't, they're not uh, taking any government services um, as a part of this protective status. And not only that, but these are college students, college graduates, white collar workers. And, keep, and keeping the economy alive. Right, essentially these are people who have been thoroughly vetted, have a 100% clean um, criminal record, mm -hmm. um, and are not, when Donald Trump was on the campaign trail and said that all these immigrants that are coming over are like rapists and drug dealers, First of all, that's ludicrous. Second of all, these are the opposite of the picture that Donald Trump painted um, of these people. Right. And even now, it's gotten to the point where numerous um, House and Senate uh, Republicans have got on the record saying that they want all this protective status. Um, they want it legislated. Donald Trump has been pressured so much publicly to the point where now he has to um, let Congress legislate this. And of course, his favorite way to uh, announce policy is to tweet, which he has uh, recently done so. Um, and he has, in fact, now met with uh, Democratic uh, congressional leadership twice to discuss the future of uh, DACA and these dreamers. As we said, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer um, got sort of a, a, a win um, by getting Trump to agree to their terms on the debt ceiling um, as well as the budget. And uh, one again, um, during a Wednesday dinner with the president, um, and per a, per a press release from Schumer and Pelosi, uh, they had a productive meeting at the White House with uh, with the president. Uh, the discussion focused on DACA. They agreed to enshrine the protections of DACA into law quickly, um, undoubtedly during the six-month period, um, and to work out a package um, for border security, excluding a physical wall um, that's acceptable on both sides. Essentially, like this probably is probably six, six month, months from now, these people won't be forced to leave and they won't they won't get their workers uh, permits taken away from them and it's another it's another uh seemingly easy win for the trump administration mm -hmm. all you have to do is get on board with this but he keeps fighting for the fucking wall and then yeah. uh you know even today um donald trump tweeted his wall is like just shifting into now all of a sudden instead of building this massive physical wall that's with this like modern technology they're going to uh like renovate parts of the wall update the fencing mm -hmm. it, it's slowly devolved from on the campaign trail being like we're gonna build the great wall on the southern yeah. border and mexico's paying for it so like it's devolved into this well we're sort of uh gonna do this and um, you know you're gonna pay for it, <laughs> and uh, it's essentially uh, Donald Trump is having no choice, and I think he's uh, coming to terms with what a lot of legislators realize going into the job is that like it's gonna take bipartisanship, it's gonna take compromise, yeah. it's gonna take negotiations, which mean concessions. Yeah, I mean when he sits around and just tweets, uh, and his cabinet <laughs> abandons him, and uh, then he fires certain people. Uh, Congress abandons him. Uh, you can't get any legislation passed uh, by isolating yourself. And and I think that he's uh, too slowly like coming to terms with that, with the yeah. fact that he 
you know, is going to have to work with Democratic leadership and stop calling them obstructionists on Twitter. But a part of me thinks that, like, whenever he tweets any of this, like, totally outlandish bullshit, all that is is pandering to his base, because his base lives on Twitter, his base lives on the internet, they live on Breitbart, and so it's very easy for them to you know, buy into his yeah. horseshit when he tweets it. He doesn't have to mean a they single word bait. of it and clearly doesn't. Right, exactly. They bait and chatterbait. <laughs> yeah, they're on chatterbait reading Donald Trump's tweets. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's this This goes back into like what I was saying about all these like think pieces and analysis being written about how Trump is this, you know, bipartisan champion. When it's like, yeah. it's taken him almost a year into his presidency to start reaching across the aisle like a little bit to be able to not even get a legislative win for his own agenda. It plays into his his necessity for his own ego of like media attention and he knows that this works like yeah. to a certain degree. Well, he didn't uh, even I mean, have to come Jared out Kushner and agree has with forced them. everybody that he didn't like. Right. It's just it's just Kushner and Ivanka right. with the reins pretty much. Let's talk about Bannon's appearance on 60 Minutes with right. Charlie Rose, which uh, for many viewers uh, didn't know who was which person. Right. Honestly, okay, so I went online and I wanted to catch some clips of this thing because it's it's pretty incredible that Steve Bannon, having just left the White House, is basically going on a tell-all tour. The most prestigious uh, news show probably on television. Right, that he's like going on TV and he's going to, it's like reading someone's diary. Right, right of his time and you get on there and you see Steve Bannon dressed in this ludicrous outfit obviously meaning to exude like I'm a fucking bad guy yeah. but, I used to make documentaries about Ronald Reagan <laughs> right exa yeah exactly and this is we could talk about what, what George Clooney said a about producer him. right yeah oh okay yeah right and so Bannon's going on 60 Minutes to talk about his time in the White House and He's like shitting on every single person that he worked with. Like they're like Charlie Rose, is like talk to me about Chris Christie. Oh, he did. He didn't make the boat. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like he sent out a text message saying, "If you're oh, it was the uh, like the day after right. the uh, in not inside like the 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 tour bus scandal. Right. When yeah. You, when the you, grab him by the pussy tape right. came out, and Chris Christie was like. Donald, that was a scummy thing to do. Why don't you yeah. go on TV and apologize for it? And Steve Bannon's like, if you're not on the bus, you miss the boat. Like, he made some just, really weird yeah. convolution. And Steve Bannon was just there in an empty bus waiting for Chris Christie. <laughs> right. He really wanted to hang out with Chris Christie. Yeah, like, I think that's what it was. Yeah. They needed some some bonding time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, the, the craziest thing about this is that, uh, you know, Bannon's going on TV and... A lot of Trump's like policy making is like secretive, right? Stephen Miller likes to hide out in his little like cave, like his hunched over, right? He, like, he goes, <laughs> he been, goes into his incubator and like and writes all these like drafts yeah. for like laws and speeches. And I'm pretty sure Stephen Miller is like literally like the only thing keeping the policy yeah, machine. He provides the, the literature running. for Kushner to read. Right, exactly. And so Bannon's like going on TV, like being like, oh, they're developing things. Obamacare is going to be totally overhauled by the Trump administration. Like the whole thing is was just this really kooky, weird <laughs> thing for yeah. for Bannon to do. And not only that, he's Bannon has been one of the biggest advocates within the Trump administration of, you know, Trump perpetuating this whole like fake news, you know, buzzword. And so... Steve Bannon goes on what could be called one of the most 
uh, you know, visible examples of like mainstream journalism, like 60 Minutes, and does like a tell-all, right? And everyone's watching, like, yeah, it's, and in, it's the, incredible. The whole concept of Breitbart was like a, like right. a, a, a subversive take on uh, nonsense, basically. Right, and and the fact that like now all of a sudden Bannon wants to go on TV, I think this whole thing is like this is Steve Bannon's cry for help. Yeah, well, he, he needs work. Help. It, I mean, he's still going to be in the White House. Yeah. Like, he's still going to be around. He's just not uh, in the limelight anymore. Right, and, and Bob Mercer is, is still going to, you know, fund Breitbart, give him a, a healthy salary, pay for his home, pay for him to have all the kind of access that he wants. Um, but it was just incredible to me to think that he would, you know, he went on the mainstreamiest mainstream media just and, to be able to get his, his face on TV. And this is uh, coming on after uh, the first week of the NFL. Right. So this first is like game. mainstream yeah. TV. This is like primetime viewership. Don't turn off your television. Steve Bannon's going right. to. <laughs> right. And this this actually, right. And they market it like that yeah. too. Like yeah. watch Steve Bannon. But the, the NFL's viewing <laughs> like uh, audience is, I mean, those are the people that voted for Trump. Right, exactly. And those are the people who like, they maybe know Steve Bannon's name, Maybe fewer of them know his face, yeah. and and none of them have heard him speak. And then they watch him on sixty minutes. They're like, "Wait, this is the fucking guy that yeah. like got is that Donald, Bill Clinton? Right? This is the guy that got Donald Trump elected? Wait, which one, Steve Bannon?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so this brings me to George Clooney, his stance on Steve Bannon. And bear in mind, George Clooney, handsomest man in Hollywood referred to Steve Bannon as, and I quote, a failed fucking screenwriter. For those who don't know, Steve Bannon spent decades trying to make it as a producer, a writer, director, um, unfortunately not an actor, because I would have loved <laughs> to have seen Steve Bannon well, got, well, on an episode of Friends. No, he got his first job uh, two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I got a break. Yeah, so essentially, you know, George Clooney has this, you know, like insider knowledge of Steve Bannon trying to make it, and in fact reading some of his screenplays and thinking like, this guy has absolutely no no fucking future working in Hollywood. Right. And uh, George Clooney, possible presidential candidate in 2020, that is not nonsense. You can go read about it in uh, Politico. Um, has taken a very hard line, uh, hard line stance on, uh, <laughs> on Steve Bannon, which only helps his electability. Well, stick around. We have our big finish coming <laughs> yeah. up after this. sure to tune into our next episode as we will be talking to Tyler Crochet of Gamecock Recovery and the Collegiate Recovery Program here at USC about his organization and what they are doing to provide a safe environment for students in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, thank you everyone so much for tuning into our inaugural episode of The Cutaway. It means so much. <laughs> it means so much to us. Music heard on The Cutaway comes from Talker Music and The Cutaway is brought to you by Student Media at USC and the Cutaway Media Group. See you next pod.